Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. After almost three decades, one of the most heartbreaking and troubling child murders in the history of the UK has been solved. How did the investigators finally catch six-year-old Ricky Neves' killer? In the winter of 1994, the body of Ricky Neves was discovered in this woodland, just a few hundred metres from his home here in Peterborough. He was reported missing after playing truant from school. There are 2,500 people on the Welland estate. Detectives hunting for Ricky's killer believe that one of them may hold key information about the murderer. When we reviewed and reopened the case in 2015, we were committed to finding the person responsible for Ricky's untimely death and ensuring that they were brought to justice. Following an intensive and detailed investigation with several challenges and legal obstacles, we now know what happened to Ricky on that day. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 3 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is a case update for Season 4, Episode 4. When the inquiry into Ricky Neve's murder was again reopened, the investigators assigned to the case began reviewing the evidence. They found that adhesive tapings taken from Ricky's clothes had been stored for over two decades. 
The tapings contained enough DNA for a profile to be cross-checked through the National DNA Database. The DNA matched a man with a criminal history named James Lewis Watson. Watson's name had come up during the initial investigation, as witnesses had reported seeing him with Ricky Neve on November 28, 1994. Watson was just 13 years old at the time. He was arrested on suspicion of murder over two decades after Ricky's life was taken. However, he had been released on bail by April 20, 2016. In June, Watson's bail license was revoked when he breached the conditions of his release. He did not return to the address where he had been ordered to stay in Northampton by the time of his curfew. Watson had absconded with another licensee and boarded a ferry to Europe. Once again, it seemed like obtaining justice for Ricky Neve's murder was just out of reach. That was until Watson, who was still on the run at this point, emailed his probation officer. It had been one month since he had fled the country. Surprisingly, Watson told them he wanted to return to the UK. When asked where he was and how they could assist him in coming back, Watson wrote, I'm in a world of shit. I left with that Colin under the assumption that he was going to Thailand and I could see a bit of Europe for a few days. He never turned out like that. Now I am homeless and living on the streets in Europe. I stayed in a room with some people I met, but that was not long term. Now I don't know what my next plan should be. I want to make it back for this bail, and I know I will be in trouble for my licence, but it's done now. Just picking up the pieces the best I can. I don't know how you can help me or if you can. I just need to keep in touch with you. This will all be relevant in the future. James Watson's probation officer contacted the police, who emailed Watson telling him to go to the British consulate. When he arrived in August, Watson was arrested and extradited ten days later. Despite the DNA evidence linking Watson to the clothing Ricky Neve had been wearing on the day he died, the authorities needed more proof that they had finally caught the person responsible. It was not until June 2018 that the Crown Prosecution Service determined that there was not enough evidence for them to pursue a conviction against James Watson. A joint task force made up of detectives across Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire and Cambridgeshire had spent countless hours compiling hundreds of statements in relation to the six-year-old's murder. Head of the investigative unit, Assistant Chief Constable Paul Fullwood said at the time, It is disappointing that following our three-year investigation, we have not been able to identify the person or persons responsible for Ricky's murder. However, although at this stage we have no further active lines of inquiry, we remain committed to finding his killer. 
It is frustrating that despite three years of detailed investigations, we are not able to tell Ricky's family what happened on the day of his murder. But we will not give up hope to do so one day. The following year, Ricky Neve's mother Ruth and her husband Gary Rogers appealed in the Daily Star newspaper for the case to remain open. Ruth said, When Ricky died, I died inside, and I will be dead inside for the rest of my life. But I will never give up fighting for him. I feel we are now in limbo, since the only suspect was released. There is hope, but I really do not know if it is going to happen, however much I would like it to. I'm not confident, but I hope something happens. Months later, Ruth submitted an appeal opposing the CPS decision not to file charges against James Watson under the Victims' Rights to Review scheme. The Crown Prosecution Service began to conduct the review, and on the 25th anniversary of Ricky's death, Assistant Chief Constable Fullwood said to Ruth and Gary Rogers that the police would continue to support the CPS review. They wanted to give the CPS the best opportunity to look at the case objectively so they could make an informed decision. Speaking to reporter John Elworthy, Ruth described the hope she'd had for Ricky and the impact his death had on her life. She said, I wanted him to have grown up and be a good lad and have given me grandchildren. When he was little, he used to get things out of skips that were broke and take them apart and put them back together and they would work. He had the brains to do anything. I could see him with a lovely girl and a few kids, and that is what really hurts. I wish he could have grown up to do the nice things in life, but that was tragically taken away from us and that's not fair. It has had an awful effect on the family. They hate me, but it was not me who killed Ricky, so they should blame that person, not me. When Ricky died, I died. Something inside me died. It felt like having my arm ripped off. It's been a real struggle, especially at times like this, and at Christmas. For the last 25 years, it has been awful and painful and ridiculously terrible to live with. When you have something, and someone has taken that away, you never get over it, but just want to know why. Ruth Neve had gone to trial for Ricky's murder, although she was found not guilty of that crime. However, she was convicted of child abuse. In February 2020, the CPS authorised the prosecution of James Watson for Ricky Neve's murder. Watson had been apprehended under a European arrest warrant in Portugal almost three and a half years earlier. For some time after Watson's arrest, it was speculated that issues surrounding his extradition from Portugal would impede the legal proceedings. Due to the enormity of the case file, 
Artificial intelligence was used by Watson's defence to analyse the 10,000-plus documents in the evidence pack. Speaking about the unprecedented use of AI, Watson's barrister Sally Hobson told the Daily Mirror, We have been served thousands of pages of evidence that we have to digest in a limited number of days. The court digital case system has massive limitations. We're not allowed to put any unused material on there. It can't read handwritten documents, and it will only throw up the exact things that you search for. The AI learns what to search for, reads and understands and can surface in hours what would take months to find manually. The defence would have more time than they initially anticipated, because the trial was delayed from January 2021 until January 2022. When the trial began at the Old Bailey, Crown Prosecutor John Price QC told the jury that Ricky Neve was reported missing by his mother on November 28, 1994. The following day, the little boy's body was found in a wooded area close to Ricky's home, an area where he had played with friends, making dens or playing with sticks. Describing the way in which Ricky had been discovered, the prosecutor told the court he had been strangled. The body was naked. It was lying on the ground, flat on its back. It had been deliberately posed by the killer in a star shape, with outstretched arms and his legs placed wide apart. The pathologist on the case, Dr Nate Carey, later testified that he had entered an area of scrubland adjacent to the road, where he saw the body of a completely naked young male lying on his back, with his arms and legs spread. The pathologist explained that a mark on the victim's neck was apparent and noted petechial hemorrhage in the eyes and face, a symptom of strangulation. The ligature mark was in a repetitive linear pattern, which Dr. Carey believed was from a zip fastener. This belief was bolstered when Ricky's jacket was found. Rigor mortis had already set in and there was dirt on Ricky's small hands and feet. There were also scars, grazes and minor bruises on his head. It was theorised that Ricky Neve had been strangled in a surprise attack. The killer had used Ricky's jacket as a ligature before stripping him and disposing of his clothing in a wheelie bin 150 yards away. Ricky's shoes were found with the laces still tight and his socks and underwear were bundled inside his jacket with his trousers and shirt. The buttons from Ricky's shirt were missing, but one had been found on top of a leaf close to Ricky's outstretched hand. The police had quickly zeroed in on Ricky's mother, Ruth, and she was charged with murder and child abuse in 1995. Ruth had admitted her guilt to the cruelty charges, but denied killing her son. A jury subsequently acquitted her of the murder charge, something the prosecution now admitted was the correct decision. 
John Price QC said that the evidence which proved Ruth had not killed her son had been apparent in 1994, but it had been misunderstood or ignored. The police focused on reported sightings of Ricky and unrelated items found in Ruth's home. Amongst Ruth's belongings, officers had come across a picture of the famous da Vinci drawing Vitruvian Man, an image they believe mirrored the way Ricky's body had been posed. More items were seized, including a collection of true crime books and books about the occult. Testimony was also provided by the family's social worker Deborah Lawson. Lawson said that Ruth often shouted at the children, but the social worker had not witnessed Ruth be violent toward them. However, that said, it was considered that she would not have physically abused her children in front of a social worker anyway. Deborah Lawson described how Ruth had written a manuscript about a murder story. This too was seized as evidence during the investigation. It was something the police felt strengthened the argument that Ruth had committed the killing. When she was 13 years old in 1994, Kelly Nuttall had lived next door to Ricky. She testified that his mother Ruth was a, quote, total and utter disgrace of a mother. Another neighbour told the court that he heard Ruth shouting at Ricky as they walked past his home. Alan Stacy testified, My attention had been drawn to a young woman walking along the footpath. I heard a female voice shouting and swearing. I looked out and saw a female chasing a little boy. She was screaming, Fucking come back here, you little bastard. I will fucking kill you. And he was shouting back, no. The head teacher at Ricky Neve's school also addressed the court and told the jury that Ruth Neve had called her after Ricky was found dead. Ruth threatened legal action as the faculty had not informed her Ricky was not in school the day he went missing. Jennifer Boxall said, Ruth Neve never brought Ricky to school, ever. She was very abusive, really horrible language. He would tell me he was late because his mother was asleep on the settee and he had to get his own breakfast. He also told me several times he had to make his own tea, the afternoon meal, as well. Ricky Neve's friend Mark Moss had spoken to the police three days after the six-year-old's murder. Mark described how the friends were like brothers. Mark Moss told the police that Ricky had said he was going to run away from home because he hated school. This may explain why Ricky had absconded from school on the day he died. Testifying via video link, Ricky's friend was asked by the defence counsel if he had ever witnessed Ruth Neve taking Ricky to school. Mark Moss said he had not. He explained how Ricky would sit in the bushes upset, and upon seeing him, Mark's mother would bring him inside. sight. 
Donna McCormick was 12 years old at the time of her neighbour's murder. She had given a statement to the police after Ricky's death, where she spoke about an incident she witnessed. Donna told officers, Ruth was watching EastEnders, and Ricky kept on talking. Ruth told him to shut up, but he kept on talking. With her right thumb and index finger, Ruth grabbed Ricky around the front of his neck and pushed him up against the wall. Ricky started going blue in the face, and I began screaming at Ruth to leave him alone. Ricky fell to the floor crying. I've seen Ruth throw him across the floor and Ricky suffered carpet burns. I have seen scratches on Ricky's face, but he would not tell me how he got them. I was at Ruth's when Ricky showed me some bruises on his back. Bruises in a straight line. Ricky said that Ruth had thrown him onto the radiator. When I spoke to Ruth, she said she did throw him onto the radiator. Donna McCormick testified that she had seen Ricky's mother and her then-partner Dean Neve injecting drugs at their home. The couple had purchased the drugs from Donna's mother, which Ricky or Ruth would collect. Bryony Swift had been the family's aid worker between May and August of 1994, and again in November of that year. She had noted that Ruth was trying hard with the family and was coping reasonably well. When asked how Ruth would deal with Ricky, Bryony Swift said, At times she would get quite cross with him. Her parenting wasn't consistent. It was a difficult situation, because mum was not always good at parenting as she was at other times. She also hadn't had good parenting herself, so she hadn't had a lot to draw on to guide her. Swift went on to say that Ruth would make Ricky stand facing the wall, or restrain him by wrapping her arms and legs around him from behind. Bryony Swift told the court, he was quite wriggly and jiggly to start with, not liking it, but then he would start to calm down. It would last until the child submitted and apologised. Junior prosecutor Nathan Rossia asked the family's aid worker if she recalled the conversation where Ruth had described Ricky as a stumbling block in the way of getting back with her husband, Dean. Swift replied, I understood that as Ricky was in the way, really, of them getting back together, making it even more difficult. I think she probably blamed Ricky for the situation she was in, in a lot of ways. Throughout that November, Ruth had made statements saying that she could not cope with Ricky, was at the end of her tether, and had enough of him. The day before her son went missing, Ruth had told the family aid worker that if something was not done with Ricky, she would kill him. However, Bryony Swift said that the tension between mother and son had eased later that day, and they seemed content with one another. When the witness was asked how she reacted when she heard Ruth say she would kill her son, Swift said, I think I was always concerned about Ricky and Ruth's relationship 
and it was almost a norm in that family. But yes, of course, it concerned me. I have heard many, many parents say that at times of stress. All information that I recorded went to the social worker, and I would have regular phone contact and go into the office, so they were well aware of everything. But the situation calmed down later on that day, and if it hadn't, it may have had a very different outcome to what I did and didn't do. However, because it settled, it felt like those were just angry words at the time, and things were okay again. Wiki's stepfather, Dean Neve, had not been living with Ruth at the time of the murder, and he could not testify at the trial because he died in a car accident five years after Ricky was killed. Neve's statement from 1994 was read to the court by the prosecutor, John Price, QC. In it, Dean Neve said that he and Ruth shared a fascination for black magic, but Neve's interest had waned while Ruth was still interested in tarot cards and Ouija boards. While living with Ruth and the children for a short time between his release from prison in 1993 and their marriage being annulled, Dean Neve described how Ruth treated the children. His statement read, She was always shouting and screaming at the children and was regularly hitting them with her hand. I thought a lot of it was unnecessary, and I could not stand it. So I moved out. I left because of the way Ruth used to treat the children. Dean Neve said that Ruth took her frustrations out on the oldest children, Rebecca and Ricky. Although Ricky was more mischievous, he always did what Dean Neve asked of him, and Neve maintained a good relationship with the children, even after the marriage ended. Dean Neve told the police that he believed Ruth was addicted to amphetamines and her moods would shift due to drug use or withdrawal. Ricky's mother was called to testify. From the stand at the Old Bailey, Ruth said that she had been bullied into pleading guilty to the child cruelty charges at the previous trial because she did not know what she was pleading guilty to. Ruth had always denied Ricky's murder, but spent seven years in prison for the cruelty charges. James Watson's barrister Jennifer Dempster QC implied that Ricky had suffered the most abuse at the hands of his mother, even being locked outside in his pyjamas when he was just three years old. The defence contended that witnesses had seen Ruth hold Ricky by the neck, thump him, hold him upside down over a bridge, and force him up against the wall as punishment. Ruth denied the allegations, but the defence barrister spoke about something that had happened a few months before Ricky's death, when he called his mother a slack. The defence counsel said, I suggest you grabbed him, forced him up against the wall. You pushed his head back. You forcibly opened his mouth and you put a bottle of washing up liquid into it and then you squeezed it. Ruth admitted that she had put a bottle of washing up liquid to her son's mouth but claimed it was empty. 
Dempster asked her if Ricky had said, I'm sorry, Mum, I love you, before he vomited. Ruth denied that her son had been sick. The Defence Council continued to outline alleged incidents between Ruth Neve and Ricky, such as a time when she wrote the word idiot on his forehead and when she threatened to kill him in front of a shopkeeper. Jennifer Dempster QC suggested that Ruth Neve was at the end of her tether with her children by November 1994, and she only loved two things at that time, her then-husband Dean and drugs. When Ruth Neve protested that she thought she was just pleading guilty to smacking the children, the defence barrister rubbished her claims. Dempster said, That Miss Neve is nonsense. The judge told you you were guilty of appalling and systematic cruelty to your children, and he was right. The judge described you as wholly unfit to be a mother, and that's the truth. The judge told you that the harm you had done to your children was incalculable. Details of Ruth Neve's drug use were laid bare in court, as she was accused of using her children to collect drugs. Ruth also addressed the allegations that she was obsessed with murder and the occult-based books found in her home. The defence asked Ruth if she had held a seance to try and contact Ricky. She laughed at the accusation, but did admit to being interested in Ouija boards. The defence also asked if she described herself as being a high priestess of the occult. She denied that she had saying there was no such thing. Ruth admitted to being interested in true crime and said that her interest neither made her evil nor did it want to make her kill her son. After calling, quote, bullshit on many of the questions posed to her during the cross-examination, Ruth ignored a barrage of questions from the defence counsel in the following exchange. Jennifer Dempster QC asked, Did you murder your son? Are you really not going to answer that question? Did you kill Ricky without intending to? Did you kill him accidentally? Did you move his body in a buggy? Did you have anything to do with posing Ricky's body in a star shape? Did you take his body to one of his favourite places to play? Will you not answer these questions? Miss Neef. Ruth replied that she was treating the questions with the contempt they deserved, and asked, At the end of the day, who's on trial? Me or your client? Despite James Watson being on trial, much of the testimony had focused on Ruth Neve, but as the prosecution began to detail their case, they presented the jury with a picture of a very disturbed teenager. The prosecution alleged that in November 1994, 13-year-old James Watson was exhibiting a grotesque interest in the subject of child murder generally, including things he said to his own mother. The jury were told two witnesses had seen Ricky and Watson together playing truant on the morning of the day he disappeared. 
James Watson had been interviewed following Ricky Neves' murder. Then aged 13, Watson admitted to seeing Ricky on the day he was killed, after witnesses reported spotting them together. Watson claimed they only spoke briefly, and he told police that he did not know Ricky. Addressing the jury, John Price QC said, This was not true. He knew him well. It was one of the many lies James Watson is alleged to have told others about events on the Monday he had met Ricky Neve, and Ricky Neve had gone missing. He was still doing so, we submit, when questioned under caution by the police 22 years later in April 2016. James Watson had been seen with the six-year-old on the morning of the murder, close to the scene where Ricky was believed to have been killed. Ricky was the victim of a surprise attack that left him with injuries indicating he had most likely been, quote, strangled by a method whereby the neckline of his own jacket was pulled back hard against his throat from behind. Witnesses had seen Watson and Ricky playing together and both of them walking towards the wood. Sylvia Clary had worked as a school cleaner in 1994. She had told the police she saw Watson with Ricky Neve on the morning of November 28th. Age 90 at the time of the trial in 2022, the witness testified via video link. Sylvia said that she was looking out of her kitchen window between 8.30 and 8.45am when she saw Ricky in his uniform and a jacket. He was not alone. She recognised James Watson as the person with him because Watson's father lived behind Sylvia's house and he had previously done landscaping work in her garden. Sylvia Clary distinctly remembered Watson had waved at her when she saw him through the window. Evelyn Pollard also lived on the Welland estate. She testified that she too had seen Ricky and Watson together hours later between 10.30 and 11am. According to Watson, he said that he had skipped school and went to the estate where his father lived. There he met Ricky, who was supposedly watching construction vehicles on the road. Watson claimed that Ricky said, That's a big tractor, isn't it? And Watson responded, That's not a tractor, it's a digger, before walking away. In the statement Watson had given shortly after the murder, he lied about the time of day he had seen Ricky. The prosecutor told the jury, He knew it had been earlier. He was indeed still with Ricky at 12.30pm. By then Ricky Neve was almost certainly already dead and James Watson was still in the wood, keeping company with a child's corpse. When James Watson was questioned in 2016 about how his DNA could have transferred onto Ricky's clothes, Watson altered his version of events and was now saying that he had lifted Ricky up so he could see the digger through a hole in a fence. 
Andrew Bailey was 14 years older than his half-brother James Watson. Bailey testified that he had brought Watson to Ricky's house several times, as he was friends with Ricky's stepfather. Bailey told the court that he had first met Dean Neve in jail, and once on the outside they would drive around together. The defence disputed the claim that the brothers were close, and intimated that Andrew Bailey had distanced himself from his half-brother. At 11 years old, James Watson had confided to Bailey that he was gay. Andrew Bailey agreed that they had fallen out over the matter, but maintained that Watson had visited Ricky's home and did know him well. The jury heard evidence about James Watson's macabre interests, which he displayed to a number of people, including his mother. Three days before Ricky went missing, Watson had told his mother he heard about a two-year-old boy who had been abducted from the Parston area of Peterborough. According to Watson, the child was found naked and strangled by the dyke off Parston Parkway. The prosecutor told the court, If Watson invented such a report of child murder on Friday the 25th of November 1994, what is one to make of the fact that only three days later on the Monday, such a rare and terrible thing did happen in Peterborough? A local child did go missing. He wasn't age two. He was six. But this child really was murdered. This child was strangled. His body was found just off the Parston Parkway. It was by the dyke. It was naked. And this real child had been with the inventor of this bogus radio report on the day he went missing. And when they were seen together, they were about three minutes' walk from where his body was found. From the stand, James Watson's mother, Shirley Cliff, denied the specific conversation with her son about a murdered child ever occurred, despite being shown her statement attesting to that fact in 1995. Shirley Cliff also denied telling the police that her son did not visit her home on the day of Ricky's murder, which is what Watson had told the police he had done. At the trial, Watson's mother corroborated her son's alibi, and denied lying to protect him. James Watson had been accused of indecently assaulting another child a year and a half before Ricky's murder. The mother of a five-year-old boy had reported her son had said someone sexually assaulted him one night before going to bed. According to the child, the perpetrator was James Watson. Reading an agreed statement of fact, the prosecutor explained that Watson had ordered the five-year-old to touch him intimately, and Watson appeared to get aroused. Watson told the child not to tell anyone about the incident. After being informed about what happened, the boy's mother noticed her son's genitals were red and she brought him to be examined by a doctor who noted an abrasion. 
addressing the jury and recounting the opinion of the doctor. John Price QC described the injury, although the physician could not confirm whether it was caused by another person. Watson was interviewed by the police at the time in the presence of a social worker and claimed that he had only been showing the boy how to shake himself after going to the toilet. The police kept the incident on their records, but no charges were filed. When asked what exactly happened while being questioned later in 2016, James Watson said, I told you I don't want to talk about it. We was just two boys playing with each other's penises. It is as simple as that. James Watson denied being sexually attracted to children. The young boy's mother testified that she had spoken to Shirley Cliff on the night Ricky went missing. Watson's mother repeated the story her son spoke of when he claimed that a two-year-old had been found strangled to death in the woods by the Welland estate. But by this point, Ricky's body had not yet been found. James Watson's teacher noticed that his pupil had developed a, quote, conspicuous interest in Ricky Neve's murder. David Benjamin was the head of Walton School in Peterborough during 1994. Benjamin testified that Watson had come to school on November 30th with a copy of the local evening paper. At first, Watson made six photocopies of the front page, which included an article about Ricky's murder. After making a further 25 more copies to allegedly put up in the children's home where he was placed in Cambridgeshire, James Watson told David Benjamin that Ricky was his friend's brother and he knew him well. Watson lived in a children's home between November 94 and August 95. Testifying about his time there, Gene Larkin, who had managed the home, said that a dismembered bird carcass had been found in Watson's room. During a search, she discovered magazines containing images of children and toddlers in their underwear. When asked for her thoughts on the magazines... Jean Larkin said, I felt that there were further questions to be answered because of the type of material that was there, and on previous occasions, James had been overheard, and I believe overtly, masturbating, self-pleasuring. While at another care home, Watson began what has been described by the media as a, quote, sexual relationship with a teenage girl who was also in care. Testifying at the trial, the woman who will be called Jane to protect her identity said that Watson would take a knife with him when they went into the woods, where they would, quote, have sex. Jane said, When James got excited towards the end, at the end part... He would have his hands on my neck and leave marks on my throat more than once. Jane also testified that on one occasion, 
Watson had killed a bird with a stone before laying it out with its wings spread and plucking out its feathers before putting it into his pocket. At the age of 15, Jane would go on to have a child fathered by James Watson. Jane spoke about how she knew that Watson was gay and still had feelings for him. She had written to him at the time, and one letter read in part, Be straight, and I can love you. This passage was read to the court, and the defence counsel questioned Jane on whether or not her allegations about being choked were true. Jane said in response, If you gave me a million letters, it would not change the fact that James put his hands round my throat when we had sex and he got excited. In 2015, the case of Ricky Neve's murder was re-examined, along with the adhesive tapings taken from Ricky's clothing. A DNA profile was extracted, and that profile matched James Watson. Highlighting these findings to the court, John Price QC said, It is the prosecution's case that the new DNA evidence other scientific evidence, and a wealth of evidence of a variety of circumstances taken from multiple sources, which importantly are independent of one another, combine surely to prove that James Watson is indeed the killer of Ricky Neve, and the manner in which that evidence combines together cannot, it is submitted, be explained away as unfortunate coincidence. A transcript of James Watson's interview with the police from 2016 was read to the court, as the detectives involved in the investigation testified. Watson had been asked if he was responsible for Ricky's murder, and he denied that he was. He had been interviewed in 2015, and said he had just spoken to Ricky briefly before going on his way. Months later, he was interviewed again after his DNA was discovered on the tapings. In this interview, Watson slightly altered his story. Using a map to highlight his journey, he said, I remember him just looking through, looking through a knothole. I picked him up, chucked him over the, you know, over the fence. Not chucked him over the fence, but, you know, held him up over the fence watch the guys doing the work. And then we left and walked off down the second hill, these, you know, fatty vowels hills that I mentioned about. We walked off here, and I carried on my route here, across through these houses. When Watson was asked how long he was with Ricky, and how he picked him up, Watson replied, literally only minutes I'm guessing I would have just picked him up under his armpits and lifted him up the fence. I couldn't, I wouldn't swear on it, but I would have just picked him up from behind under his armpits and held him up against the fence for, you know, half a second or 30 seconds or so, while he had a look at the diggers. It was no ninja move. I don't think it was by his ear hole if that's what you wanted to ask. 
James Watson explained to officers that most of what he knew about the case was from watching BBC's Crime Watch, a television programme he said he regularly viewed because he was a former criminal. Watson joked that he watched it to see if he could see his cellmates on it. As the questioning intensified, Watson grew concerned and began to simply say no comment to each question posed. The officers told him that he would be helping their investigation if he told them what he knew, and Watson responded, I want to help you guys. I did a statement when I was 13 and again just months ago, when your colleagues came to re-interview me. And then to get arrested this morning, it just worried me slightly because of course I want to help you guys. Going over very old traumatic childhood memories, difficult for me to put my mind back. Throw in the severity of I'm now a 35-year-old man sitting in a police station being questioned about a murder. It's just not your average walk in the park. I'm a bit emotionally reluctant to. A suspicion of murder? That's a very different kettle of fish. Knowing that the DNA evidence was not enough to secure a conviction, the investigators looked into James Watson's background. They tried to determine if he was telling the truth about his interaction with Ricky. Going through archival footage, the detectives discovered that there was no fence in that area at the time of Ricky's murder, disproving Watson's claim that he had innocently lifted up the six-year-old. Also, while the case was being assessed, James Watson was in custody for another crime. In April 2018, Watson was convicted of sexual assault after he had touched another man's genitals while the victim slept. However, this was far from the first time Watson had been in trouble with the law. A year after Ricky's murder, Watson had smashed the glass of a fire alarm at Woodgate Children's Home and used a spade to damage property in the building. In 2003, he was convicted of stealing a car which he then set on fire. Watson had also stolen money and property from a nightclub where he was working. In 2005, Watson broke into a police station and took items including uniforms, equipment and the keys to an unmarked car, which he stole. In 2007, he was found to be in possession of a firearm in a public place, and the following year Watson stole money from his father, who was in hospital at the time. In September 2008, Watson broke into an empty British transport police station, located the keys to the safe, and took a laptop, a PDA, cash, jewellery, drugs, handcuffs, batons, clothing and mace. After attempting to steal a patrol car, Watson went back into the station and used gasoline from a generator to light a fire. Watson was convicted of arson in that case after causing over £800,000 worth of damage, which included the destruction of a substantial amount of evidence for other ongoing investigations. Claire Matthews, James Watson's then-legal counsel in the arson case, 
said during mitigation. He feels so let down by those charged with his care as a child. He is obsessed with authority. The judge imposed an indeterminate sentence with a minimum term of five years. In total, Watson had 17 convictions for theft, five counts of stealing a car, and further convictions for public disturbance and drug possession. After detailing their case against the defendant, the prosecution rested their case, and James Watson took the stand. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. James Watson told the court that he was taken into care after his father was arrested and sentenced to time in prison. Watson said he could not live with his mother because of who she lived with. He explained that he would get a taxi between the care home where he lived and his school, but he did not fit in there, so he skipped lessons often. 
When questioned by his barrister, Watson denied ever being abusive to animals and stated that he was actively involved in animal rights. He had even obtained a certificate from the Open University for an animal care course while in prison. Watson argued that he would not have killed a bird like his former partner had claimed, saying, All my life I have always liked animals, and birds in particular. Watson admitted that he may have collected pheasant feathers because he found them fascinating, but when questioned about the contents of his room in the children's home, he flat out denied owning a catalogue that contained images of partially undressed children. There were three planks to the defence's case. That it was difficult to determine precisely when Ricky died. That there was no evidence that Watson was in the woods with Ricky and that Ricky's body had been found in a location that had been supposedly searched on the night he went missing. The defence counsel suggested the killer may have moved Ricky's body there overnight, ruling out Watson as he was back at the children's home. Watson was asked if he had changed his story in an attempt to tailor his account to fit the DNA found, but he denied that he had. He did, however, admit that he came to learn about DNA because he had been diagnosed as being HIV positive in 2009. Watson said that the morning in question was the first and only time he had ever met Ricky Neve that he only spent a few minutes with him. Watson argued that a lot of the crimes that he had committed were purposefully carried out in order to be arrested. He said, I went to a police station. That is the only place I've been where people ask, Are you okay? Are you all right? James Watson spoke about his conflicted view of the police as he claimed his father was a serving officer before his arrest. The police had been the ones to take him into care. When asked about his sexual assault conviction, Watson said, He was effectively sleeping beside me. During the night I reached out my hand. It landed on his stomach, and briefly, incredibly briefly, my hand touched his penis. I withdrew it straight away. The next morning, I was disgusted with myself. Watson claimed that he had only left the country after he was bailed for murder because he was under stress and wanted to get some control back in his life. Watson testified, My intention was always to come back and answer to my police bail. When cross-examined by the Crown Prosecutor, James Watson told John Price QC that he had only admitted to sexually assaulting a five-year-old boy when he was 12 because he felt interrogated. Price questioned this and said, You are trying to wriggle out of what you admitted to be true six years ago because bearing in mind the killer of Ricky Neve stripped his dead body naked and then left him posed, You want to get out of the fact the previous year you had sexually assaulted a child of exactly the same age as Ricky. 
Witnesses for the defence continue to testify about Ruth Neef and the abuse. According to Jennifer Dempster QC, this included the children being struck, burned with cigarettes and being locked outside in their pyjamas. Other witnesses testified contrary to their statements from the time that they had seen Ricky alive in the hours after he was seen with James Watson, something the prosecution suggested were false sightings. Former police constable Robert McNeil testified that he had searched the woods on the night Ricky went missing and said that the body was absolutely not in the location where it was found the following day. As the trial came to a close, Crown Prosecutor John Price QC summarised the case against James Watson. He told the jury it was a sunny late autumn day and they were going to a place both of them knew well and both had visited many times before, at least during daylight. They were going to the woods. Sometime after the two boys arrived in the wood, from behind and without warning, James Watson ambushed Ricky Neve and strangled him to death using a ligature whether it was the collar of the jacket Ricky was wearing or something applied on the collar. Ricky was wearing the jacket when he died, and it was still zipped up because the zip left a telltale mark on his neck. James Watson then stripped the child's body. He had an abiding sexual interest in small children, which he had already acted on in the previous year an interest reinforced with a morbid fantasy about the death of a child known to have been on his mind as recently as three days earlier. Price explained to the court that as Watson attacked Ricky, one of his shirt buttons had come off. The killer had put it on a leaf nearby, before posing the boy's body just like Watson had done with a dead bird months later. The prosecution argued that Ricky's time of death could be proven to be almost exact, as the contents of his stomach showed that he had eaten Weetabix for breakfast. John Price QC said that Watson had constructed a story that he had lifted Ricky up to look through a hole in the fence to explain away DNA evidence found. Price said this statement was a, quote, really big mistake because it never occurred to him all these years later it would be possible to conclusively prove that the high fence was not there. Jennifer Dempster QC, acting for the defence, argued in her closing statement that the jury had listened to strangers tell them half-remembered truths and cynical, deliberate, blatant lies. Dempster said that the prosecution had not proven Watson's guilt, and that there was a wealth of evidence that showed Ruth Neve could have been responsible for Ricky's death. The defence summarised the evidence from witnesses who claimed they had spotted Ricky after he was seen with Watson, and that Ricky's body had not been in the location it was found when an officer searched the area on the evening Ricky went missing. 
after deliberating for over 36 hours, the jury returned with a majority verdict following a trial that lasted 11 weeks. Paul Fullwood, who had been the senior investigating officer on the case, addressed the media outside the courtroom. The investigation team have spent hours, months and years trawling through statements, visiting witnesses and picking through every evidential opportunity to prepare for this case. We have been supported by incredible experts, witnesses and specialists who have helped us discover who is responsible. Through close working with the Crown Prosecution Service, we were able to put Watson, who was a child at the time, before the courts, and today the jury have decided he is guilty of Ricky's murder. Speaking after the verdict was announced, Ricky's paternal aunt said that they had grieved for 27 years without closure and that Ricky's father Trevor had died, not knowing what had happened to his son, who was described as the best boy in the world. Ricky's older sister Rebecca said, Although this day is a painful reminder of the loss we have all suffered, Justice has finally been served. Speaking about the case to the Evening Standard, the Deputy Chief Crown Prosecutor for the East of England, Anna van Dadelsen, said that determining that Ricky had died within two hours of his last meal shifted the way the case was analysed. Soil found on Ricky's black shoes had been examined and showed that he had last walked into the woods where his body was found. This new discovery would have prevented Ruth Neve from being suspected if the technology had been available in 1994 and proved that she had not wheeled her dead son into the woods in a buggy, something that had been argued at the time. Van Daddelsen said... The DNA evidence was absolutely crucial and really helped build our case against James Watson. Initially, Mr Watson had denied contact with Ricky Neve and then changed his story over time to explain the contact between him and Ricky. The DNA evidence was fundamental, ensuring that James Watson had contact with Ricky Neve in the clothes that he was wearing at the point at which he died. In fact, our investigation showed that the fence didn't exist at the time that Ricky was killed. His lying was brought to the fore during the course of his cross-examination, and the jury were able to see that. After Ruth Neve had appealed to the CPS to review the case, the evidence that Ricky had died within hours of his last meal allowed them to rule out later sightings of the six-year-old and strengthen the case against James Watson. Ricky's sisters, Rochelle and Sheridan, who were toddlers at the time of his death, were later adopted after their mother was arrested for child abuse. Rochelle said that Ricky was a loving and caring older brother who looked after them, ensuring they were clean and fed despite being so young. 
He even resorted to taking food from the shop to make sure they ate. Rochelle told the media that because of the way the children were treated, she disliked her biological mother, saying, even though she didn't strangle him, she still let a six-year-old on the streets alone and neglected him. All she was interested in was drugs and men and drink. I can't even look at her. The things that she's put us through and our poor brother. How he's been treated. How he was murdered. Ricky's other sister Sheridan said, I think what's so tragic as well is the fact that he was just so small and so vulnerable. And he came from such a bad home. And it's just unlucky that he's come across Watson. So where are we now? Ruth Neve said in a statement following the verdict that she would like to thank the jury for making the right decision and thank those who believed in her and Ricky. However, Ruth went on to tell Cambridgeshire reporter Harry Rutter, this is not the time to celebrate as it should never have happened. It was the Cambridgeshire Police and Cambridgeshire Social Services working together to cover up the sexual attacks on the estate and then framing me for my son's murder. Neglect and cruelty were used by these people to cover up their own failings. Information was gathered from liars who gave multiple statements with many different versions of their lies. Statements were released to the media and I was not allowed to defend myself because of a gagging order from social services, so anyone could say anything and get away with it. Social services lost, destroyed and lied about my family files, but we still have many of these files, which show malicious complaints, fraud, drug-taking and forged documents all from social services. Now my son's murderer is convicted and the police and social services have totally ruined mine and my daughter's lives. The only thing now is to close this chapter in my life and open a new one. I wonder what Ricky would be like today. Married. Children. Who knows. But this monster has taken that all from me and my daughter's. James Watson's sentencing hearing was held on June 24, 2022. In her victim personal statement, Ricky's eldest sister addressed Watson and said, After all these years of living your life, you finally get your comeuppance, and Ricky finally gets justice. Ricky's younger sister, Rochelle, who was three when he was murdered, also offered a statement saying, After I entered the care system, I suffered severe mental health issues. I remember Ricky feeding me, washing me, and helping me with my clothes. He has missed so much of our lives, happy times that we have had. I also wonder what he would be like if he was still here, 
but sadly I will never know because he was taken from me. Ruth Neve, who had been tried and acquitted of her son's murder in 1996, was not present at the hearing, but her victim personal statement was read to the court. Ruth said that Ricky was the most beautiful person ever, and she missed all of his cheekiness and laughter. She admitted hitting him, something she had been convicted of after his murder. The statement by Ruth Neve read in part, My Ricky was a little firecracker. I could not have wished for a better son. He was adorable. I love you with all my heart and soul. He was my soulmate. I had my children snatched out of my arms in the middle of the night because the police were so adamant that I had killed Ricky and would then kill my daughters. I feel dead inside. He was the only son I had. Ricky's murder left a massive hole in our lives and in our hearts. I miss him so much that it feels like I have had my heart ripped out. Presiding Judge Mrs Justice McGowan summarised the case in her sentencing remarks. She described Ricky as a child who was born into a difficult home and was on the at-risk register for a period prior to his murder. The judge said that Ricky would avoid school during the day aside from lunchtime, where it was the only place he was guaranteed to get a proper meal. Ricky Neve's short life was marred by neglect and at times physical abuse before he ever met his killer. Mrs Justice McGowan concluded that she believed James Watson had been harbouring a sexual interest in little boys from a young age, and evidence supporting this belief had been presented at the trial. The judge did not find that Watson had sexually assaulted Ricky prior to his murder, but she did say that the quote, Bizarre stripping and positioning of the body was undoubtedly done as a manifestation of that sexual interest, but it does not amount to concealment or desecration. As Watson was 13 at the time the crime was committed, the judge was obligated to sentence him in accordance with the legislation regarding youth offenders. The minimum sentence for a juvenile convicted of murder is 12 years, but Mrs Justice McGowan highlighted several aggravating factors that she had considered. These were that a vulnerable child who had a troubled family life and was willing to trust strangers was murdered by another child who was significantly older and stronger. The judge also believed that the murder was premeditated. She said, Ricky Neve was not necessarily the intended victim, but James Watson had premeditated and spoken about killing some young boy in precisely the same way and place as Ricky was killed. Mrs Justice McGowan reviewed mitigating factors such as Watson's age at the time and his own difficult upbringing. Watson's barrister Jennifer Dempster QC had told the judge the defendant himself was a victim at the hands of others 
The defendant's education and general childhood was affected by being let down by a variety of adults in his life who ought not to have done so. This was a young man, a young boy, who really had no stability in life. After considering all of the evidence and testimony, the judge concluded... The sentence I would be bound to pass today if he was still a teenager would have a minimum term of at least 18 years. Adjusting that to reflect what would have happened at the time of the offence and his comparatively young age. The sentence I impose is detention for life at Her Majesty's pleasure. I set the minimum term at 15 years, less 843 days. In court, the judge said James Watson's sentence reflected the fact that he was a child when he killed Ricky Neve. A six-year-old boy, she said, who never had the chance to be happy and lead a fulfilling life. An opportunity denied to him by his killer. Today's sentencing marks the final chapter in our journey to secure justice for Ricky and his family. It has taken a significant period of time to get to this point but we made a promise that we would find the person responsible for Ricky's death, and it's a promise that we've kept. For years, Watson had hidden away, knowing he was responsible for Ricky's murder and thinking he'd gotten away with it. But this is no longer the case. He will spend years behind bars, and the truth is finally out. James Watson had already spent over two years in custody between the day he was charged with murder and the day he was sentenced for the crime. The amount of time served would be deducted from the sentence imposed. James Watson is eligible to apply for parole in 2035. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike. 
preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.